So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Inside the Mind of Champions. Well, it's that time again and I hope you and your family are all well at this challenging time. The COVID pandemic is still rolling across the world and even the mighty Donald Trump has had it in the last few weeks. So he's been able to test out his own bleach theory of recovery. I've had an interesting couple of weeks. It's been a mix of delivering client webinars on topics like resilience and well-being and, and leading through uncertainty. I'm not sure there's a perfect answer for that. And also been finishing off our brand new members platform, which is going to be absolutely fantastic. We're almost ready to unleash it on you. I tend to pile into those kind of projects with full steam ahead and a bit of naivety, I think, and getting into the global VAT laws for digital streaming and customer, you know, consumer law and shopping cart integrations has really tested my brain and patience to the limits in the last few weeks. But we've done this really well as a, as a remote working team. It's been we've had to take our own medicine at times, but because we've got such a brilliant set of skills across the team and everyone's really worked hard, it's been Great to move me from excruciating to ecstatic in the last couple of weeks. So really pleased with the way that's coming on. Also had a chance to join Joe Marler, the England rugby star, on his new podcast as a guest. So keep an eye out for that in the next few weeks. Joe's a real character and we had lots of fun making the show. We covered uh, themes like handling pressure in that uh, elite environment. You imagine Twickenham full of pressure. He's made a few mistakes, which he's very candid about. We talked about mental health and the future of sports psychology. And you might also hear his amazing Nelson Mandela impression, which is uh, a joy to behold. That was good fun to listen out for that podcast with Joe Marler, the Joe Marler Show. So thanks again for those of you who sent messages on LinkedIn and uh, by email to me directly at hello at sportingedge.com. And especially those of you that have taken the time to write a review. We've had one from Estelle saying, I've just discovered this via LinkedIn and I'm giving it five stars. We've got SR2 Mace. This is my number one podcast and a right good listen. So thank you for that. SW Oxwin uh, is saying, brilliant, really enjoying the insights. RN Douglas says, can't recommend this highly enough. Well, you've given it five stars, so that's enough for now. And Von Ryan 70 said, the best new podcast, loving this relaxed style. 
Well, you're giving it five stars. That's brilliant. You like my relaxed style? You should see my handshaking, mate. So that's a, a different story. That's why I don't video it. I uh, also had Richard Shelley give his second five-star review. That's just unheard of. So thank you, Richard, for that. Um, and just as a little surprise for you, Richard, for going above and beyond um, in supporting my work and the podcast, I'm going to give you a, a very special discount to our new members club. So drop me a note through to hello at sportingedge.com and I'll explain more. I hope you're listening again. Uh, you're giving it two five stars, so I'm hoping you, you're coming back. You're going to have access to all of the 600 insights in our digital video library. There's about 100 experts in there and you'll be able to get that at any time. You have to wait for me to waffle on with another podcast episode. You'll be able to watch all the videos yourself. So give me a shout, Richard, and uh, I'll get that set up for you as a nice surprise. So thanks so much for taking the extra time to leave your reviews. I've mentioned before that when you do a conference speech, or a leadership workshop or something. You can see people nodding or sliding off their chairs with boredom. So you get a bit of feedback. But when you do a podcast, you just get me waffling away into this microphone and lonely in a room. So it's great to see those messages and comments coming through. So thanks so much. Now, last week we focused around motivation. And over the last few weeks, we've had that as a bit of a theme, really. How to keep your mojo in challenging times. How to look at those uh, you know, factors outside of money as motivation, those intrinsic motivators. So I'm, I'm really hoping that that's had a positive impact for you. I've had lots of emails around that, but also that you've been able to use some of those intrinsic motivations around your team. Not many businesses can pay bonuses at the moment, but maybe we can give people more development plans to give them that personal growth that they'll feel fulfilled by. Maybe there's that autonomy that we we spoke about and the purpose and that sense of belonging and community spirit that's so important to motivating people. Well, we're going to move away from that topic uh, for this episode and I'm changing up the format again to be another one of those mastermind formats where I introduce you to one of the experts I've interviewed for a much deeper dive into their mindset and philosophy on developing a high performance culture. So today's expert guest is Baroness Sue Campbell, who originally trained as a PE teacher. Then she became a coach and a coach educator and then moved into some executive roles with the Youth Sport Trust. Uh, she then became the CEO of the National Coaching Federation for around 10 years. And then she had a decade as the chair of UK sport for two Olympic and Paralympic cycles, including that epic London 2012 Olympics and Paralympics. More recently, she became the director of women's football at the FA and was made a dame in 2020 at the New Year's Honours List. She has 11 honorary doctorates. Quite simply, she's a living legend. And here's a taste of what's to come. You know, like any other person in any other role in life, there are days when you wonder, can I do this? Am I good enough to do this? Now, one of the things I've been all my life is an agent of change. And the one thing you know is change threatens people. And the moment you want to change something, then people see you as a problem. <laughs> I guess there are two words that, that, that come to mind, really, whether you, you're in a boardroom or, or you're coaching an individual athlete, and the two words are support and challenge. You can't change an individual's desire to succeed unless you create an environment and you begin to help them think through how they're going to succeed. But I think conflict that's around the best way to do things, real debate, real discussion, real disagreement, 
is when you get some of your best ideas. So you may not have heard of Sue Campbell coming into this episode, but I can guarantee you that you'll never forget some of her insights. As you can imagine from Sue's impressive CV, she's had so many incredible experiences of working alongside high performers. And the one common denominator is that she's always been a change agent. In a time when so many of us are having forced changed honours, I've picked Sue's interview from a library of over 100 world-class thinkers and performers to showcase her blend of personal resilience, leadership skills and the strategic thinking we all need to embrace to thrive in adversity. Sue's been an outlier in many respects as a female leader in a male-dominated environment. So let's start by trying to get a feel for Sue's background to see where this passion for sport and this unstoppable ambition began. I first got into sport through a very enthusiastic father who uh, um, played virtually every game under the sun with me. Um, very, very keen to get me involved in sport. I was naturally you know, a, a tree climber and a roller skater and a playing in the street footballer um, from a very early age. Um, was reasonably talented. I wouldn't say I was greatly talented. I was reasonably talented. I loved it. I, I got a real thrill out of it. And um, needless to say, it wasn't particularly good at school, too busy looking out the window. Uh, so I ended up um, going to PE college to become a PE teacher in the days when you could get in there with just five O-levels, as it was in those days. So I scraped in there and um, the rest is history, I think, as they say. Indeed it was. I can picture young Sue and her competitive dad testing each other out with that healthy rivalry. The ball or the goal was a healthy distraction, but it was clear that sport was shaping more than Sue's hand-eye coordination. I asked her to reflect on the role that sport has played in her wider outlook and character. I look back now and, and realise that, you know, I had a, an incredible mother and father. I mean, you know, you, you, you take life so for granted and, and they were ordinary in one sense, but they were great parents. But my third parent, without any question, was sport. And I wasn't sure I was really aware of that. You know, by the time I came out of college into my first teaching job, I was uh, England under 21 netball, junior international athlete, uh, teacher, coach... Sport had always been an end in itself. I'd never thought about how it had impacted on me, Sue Campbell. I'd only seen it as something that I, I did. And then I went to teach in Mossside, Manchester, my first teaching job. And there I really began to understand that sport changes lives and that it had a much wider meaning and much more importance than simply doing. Um, I think other people have said it, but it's more than a game. And, and I watched young people who had numerous challenges, massive difficulties, I watched their lives change as a result of their engagement with and participation in some kind of sporting activity. And it, it wasn't the sport that changed them, it was the experience, the feeling of self-worth and self-confidence, the ability to reflect through sport on some of the issues that they were, they were deeply challenged by. And, and not all of them went on to play sport, uh, you know, in, a, in any sort of formal way. Uh, but through that experience, they, their lives all improved and got better. So all my life I've been passionate about the fact that sport can change lives. I think that anyone that's been immersed in a life in sport will recognise that there's an inner game going on too. We learn how to win and lose with good grace. 
We learn how to take personal responsibility for our actions, but we also need to be a selfless player that's helping our teammates to succeed as well. And we learn that if you listen to your coaches and those people around you and you work hard, you can be amazed by some of the transformations and results you can deliver. The impact that sport had on Sue personally would shape her wider career choices as she grew older, shaping environments where children and adults from all backgrounds could strive, improve and achieve success would be a key theme. Sue already mentioned that she came from an ordinary background but went on to achieve extraordinary results. So for someone who'd seen and worked with hundreds of talented youngsters, I was interested to find out what characterised those who reached the very top. I've come across many, many talented people who have never really gone on to maximise that talent. And I've seen people with you know, fairly ordinary levels of talent with an unbelievable determination to be the very best that they can be. So I, I think, I, I think um, for me... It is an attitude of mind. It really is attitude and commitment to something. So words like perseverance, resilience are really critical, I think, in being the best you can be. And, and I think quite often what happens, particularly with young, talented people, is they're talented early on, so they're very successful, and then they hit defeat. And at that moment, they can't handle that kind of sense of not being what they thought they were going to be. And it's at those moments that are good coach, good support, will help them regroup and rethink about that. Because actually, um, you know, you, you look at some of our great sportsmen and women and they are focused on success, some of them for 15, 20 years, and they have that one goal in mind and they just keep after it and after it and after it. And Kath Granger is the classic example. Three silver medals, three successive Olympics, and she still came back for more and won her gold medal. So perseverance determination, resilience, um, a constant search for even better ways of doing things, no complacency. It's those things that I think drive success. So there's no denying that you need to be athletic to play basketball or you need to be a certain size to play rugby and you need a certain intellectual engine to be a, I was going to say prime minister or president then for a minute, but they're probably not great examples Let's say you'd probably need a good intellectual engine to be a doctor because the scientific and biological training and academic training is so rigorous. But talent in any of those fields alone is not enough. I often say to young pros at academies when I get asked to speak that your natural talent is just a passport into the room, into the club. Everyone inside that club has talent. So that's not a differentiator anymore. The key differentiator is how quickly you can learn, how adaptable you are in seizing new opportunities that present themselves and how internally motivated you are when times get tough because they undoubtedly will. We mentioned in the last episode that if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. So by definition, there are only a few people in that tiny percentage that make it to the very top of their field. So that ability to have their talent and their work ethic and tenacity collide is when we really start to see success coming through. But we tend to gravitate to natural talent, but actually we should respect tenacity 
coachability and perseverance in exactly the same light because they really hold the key to our success. So with all Sue's experience as a teacher and a coach, I wanted to hear how she went about creating an environment for talent to thrive and develop the maturity and self-reliance that every athlete and performer needs. As she explained her point, she produced a cracking insight. It might well be that you provide a planning framework for the training, you're very conscious of the necessity for the sports science support, the nutritional support, you, you, you are creating the environment for the athlete to succeed. But the only person in the end that can make you succeed is yourself. You can't change an individual's desire to succeed unless you create an environment and you begin to help them think through how they're going to succeed. So I, I, th I think it is for the, for, for the coach to be an enabler rather than the centre of attention. I think when you look at coaches that, um, that have a really... Uh, the, the example I often use is a guy called Jim Greenwood who coached rugby here many years ago. And I thought I was a great coach, but I was a show-off. You know, my best tracksuit, yelling at everybody, very didactic, very telling. You know, netball, do -do 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 -do, you know, it was like guns going off. I was incredibly, uh, you know, at them. And Jimmy coached rugby and, and on the same night as me, and so he would watch me coach and then I would watch him coach. And I thought he was terrible because he was always asking questions. And I was like, come on, Jim, you can read books, you know, what's the matter with you? And it was only after a lot of dialogue, he once asked me a really important question. Where do you sit when the game starts? Which I thought was a rather silly question at the time. And they said, well, on the bench. And he just nodded at me. He says, who makes all the decisions during the game then? And I said, well, the players. Mm. He says, and when do they get a chance to practice that? With all your telling. I said, they don't. He said, no, exactly. So, you know, he, is, he, he turned my coaching into being a questioning coach. That doesn't mean to say you don't know where you're taking things. You know, there's that facilitation where you're just asking lots of questions. And there's the facilitation which helps someone go on a journey. So you're very clear what the journey is, but you've got to help the athlete take that journey for themselves, not take over that journey. I think the moment you take over that journey, um, you, you've actually disabled the athlete from achieving what they might do. I love watching Sue's face in that video. She's such an amazing storyteller. You can imagine her proudly strutting her stuff, thinking that she's given her observer the perfect coaching session to watch. Players drilled within an inch of their lives and training seemed to be as efficient as ever. But efficient doesn't always mean effective. Sometimes mistakes and messiness generate the best learning. But that's harder to prepare for and to control as a coach. Her colleague burst her bubble and explained that sport's never perfect and predictable, so we need to prepare people to make decisions and think for themselves. The reason I think this insight is so powerful for those of you in leadership and management positions is that sometimes through our desperation to get things right, we can over-control things and our teams become like robots carrying out these micro-manoeuvres under our command. Especially now in terms of the unpredictability and disruption that we're experiencing. We need to prepare people to read the field of play, to create patterns in the chaos so that they can make informed decisions as a result. 
They can't do it if they're just being compliant to our last set of instructions. So we definitely need to set that high level intent, but we need to let them make the decisions and interpret how to deliver that and not suffocate their ownership just because it feels safer for us. Sue's reflection asks us to reconsider our own approach. Are we managing for compliance and accuracy or are we managing to allow our performers to develop more self and situational awareness as they go? We're not talking about turning your back on the team here. We're talking about taking one step back to empower them to make more decisions. I had the privilege of working alongside Eddie Jones for the first 18 months as his tenure as England rugby coach. And one of his big ideas that I was amazed by was that the game isn't necessarily one in the set piece because everyone's drilling that, you know, brilliantly and it's quite controllable. But it's actually the game is won by making sense of the chaos that happens in open play when the ball spurts out of a ruck or gets miskicked into a random part of the field. So as a result, he used to set up drills with the players where they were thrown into five minutes of chaos with balls flying in different directions, taking players out of the line um, and different patterns being called. It forced the players to think together, reorganise themselves together, and it created a shared mindset of how to navigate uncertainty. It's this comfort when there isn't a perfect plan, which can act as a real advantage for teams especially when their boss isn't there to solve the problem for them. I can contrast this by working in Premier League football where there's just so much pressure for that binary result every Saturday and so much money you know, in play. So the manager plays a much more central role, shouting the orders from the touchline. So I suppose we need to ask, are we coaching and leading to win or survive this Saturday or this week? Or are we coaching to develop a team? in the longer term. Ideally, it's both. But we need to get a team to think through their own challenges before we give them the answer so that we can open up and and see much more of what they're capable of. The Gloucester cricket team that I played in around 2000-2002 was an incredible example of this. We had a team full of problem solvers and entrepreneurs. We weren't the flashiest names on the scorecard, but we had this incredible sixth sense of how to escape trouble. We took so much confidence from being able to read the game and respond quickly with the right uh, answers. And that came from reviewing our decisions, looking at the different options that we had in different scenarios and enjoying and, and sort of reveling in that challenge of winning from any position. So I think that's definitely something we need to try and prepare our teams for to cope with disruption rather than it being neat Uh, and accurate we need to think about okay what are the options here how can we navigate this what else could go wrong how would we respond if that happened and it's that kind of discussion that can really give people the values and the strategic intent that the leader has but they start to think for themselves with that same guidance I hope you're enjoying today's show. I just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to Sporting Edge's Members Club. It's an amazing opportunity to join our network of high performers from around the world. Over the last decade, we've created this pioneering library of video insights and performance strategies from the world's best thinkers and performers. But we've never really had a solution that gives you direct access to this whenever you need it. 
So when you become a member, you'll be able to access this incredible toolkit to boost your mindset and career on demand on any device. You'll hear from neuroscientists helping you to understand how your brain works. You'll be able to watch Olympians giving you inspirational stories and strategies to boost your resilience and rekindle your motivation. And you'll also hear from communication gurus as well as experts in business strategy and the future of the workplace. We'll introduce you to new experts every month and invite you to join exclusive online mastermind sessions with world-class coaches and performance experts. So here's how you can find out more. During times of uncertainty and pressure, your mindset will be the key to your success. Sporting Edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success. This is your chance to get powerful weekly micro-lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport. You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums and events. Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. So if you're a coach, entrepreneur or executive looking for strategies to navigate the future with confidence, come and learn more about Sporting Edge Members Club at sportingedge.com forward slash membership. I look forward to welcoming you to our high performance network. So we're learning that Sue has sport and development running through her veins. So I was really interested to hear her philosophy of leadership and what characteristics she thought needed to be in place to create a high performance environment. I guess there are two words that, that, that come to mind really, whether you, you're in a boardroom or, or you're coaching an individual athlete and the two words are support and challenge. You know, your job as a coach is to be the place that you go to when things aren't very good or you've had a go at something that hasn't worked very well. It's a safe place to go. It's a place to go where you feel supported, valued um, and where you know you can have some good reflection and, and thought about what happens. But it's also a place where you know you're going to get challenged. It's not always a comfortable place. Um, and, and I think as a coach, you have to find that very fine balance between being the support, but being willing to provide that challenge about behaviour, about performance, about what went wrong. And the way you manage all that comes back to your ability to communicate. So as a coach, you've got to be a really sensitive communicator. And you've got to know when to take a strong position and be clear. And you've got to know when to step back and be supportive. But to me, coaches are, by their nature, good communicators. They're, they're very supportive individuals, but they're also people that are challenging you to be the best that you can be. So I love this interplay between challenge and support. And it's an area that I've shared with lots of senior business teams in recent years. If we have too much support, then performers don't become self-reliant. They hide in their comfort zone and they get soft. And if we have too much challenge, 
then we get people feeling emotionally exposed. There's no psychological safety. We get burnout and, and we also see volatile relationships spark up, often pulling the team apart. So we've got to get this balance and this ability to find that sweet spot where we care for the individuals as human beings, not just as performers delivering a target, but as actual humans, the people behind the performance. And also balancing that with the challenge to get people out of their comfort zone, to be accountable, to measure their performance and to drive their own improvements. That's really the skill in it that we, we're looking for. For many people, building a strong supportive relationship is the easier part of it. But it's that ability to move into that challenging space, which causes many managers and leaders and coaches discomfort. I wanted to find out how Sue manages conflict in her teams and in the meetings that she's run to strike this balance between maintaining respectful relationships and moving everyone and the business forward. Whether I, you know, I'm in a business mode or whether I'm in a sport mode, I believe strong discussion and strong debate is really one of the most powerful ways of getting to new solutions. And I worked with a, a colleague for a long time and we were like two halves of a coin. And he always saw things one way and I saw them the other. We were an unbelievable team. We would have the biggest rouse about the way forward. We never made it personal. We're still absolutely the very best of friends. I still miss him dreadfully. He's moved on to do other things. But we were like two halves of a coin and we would have some good old stinking rouse about it. But again, I think as long as that conflict is not a personal issue, but it's a passionate belief about the way to take things forward, then I think that's really healthy. And I don't, I'm not one of these people that if there's conflict, I rush about trying to smooth the water. Neither do I, you know, fan the flames. But I do try to say this is really productive energy now. Now, how do we use this? So I don't know when there's too much or too little. I guess I've learned to manage it. You know, if it's angry, which is slightly different, time out, let's go and have a cup of coffee. Not a good thing. If it's conflicted views about the way to go forward, I let it go. You know, let it run a bit. The moment it becomes you, I say, no, time for coffee. <laughs> because you isn't the issue. The issue has to be around the conflict around what we need to do, not... I don't like what you say or you don't like. That kind of conflict I'm not very fond of and I won't have because that's actually negative conflict. But I think conflict that's around the best way to do things, real debate, real discussion, real disagreement is when you get some of your best ideas. So again, Sue produces another gem of an answer that blows away this misconception that high-performing teams are soft and fluffy places where everyone's producing eureka creative moments between yoga and mindfulness sessions it's just not like that and if it is if it is that cozy then maybe there's not enough ambition or maybe the timeline's not tight enough to keep everyone on edge so when diverse teams of ambitious people come together we know that sparks can fly when they're trying to achieve something really ambitious and really special together but Sue gives us some great tips there on managing conflict in our own work and our life. The first is to expect things to get a bit spicy, to encourage that from the start, maybe give people permission to disagree. We, we actually welcome that 
in this meeting. We want this project to be stronger and tighter and more successful. So we welcome debate. The second thing is to keep it task focused. This is about beating our rival. This is about delighting our customer. It's not about me versus you in a toe-to-toe standoff. This is about something bigger. So it's that shared purpose or that shared goal or that shared strategy that the team has that we've got to make better, not a conflict between me and you personally. And then thirdly, when things do start to become, they move from that slightly personal light-hearted banter and when it starts moving into, you know, that direct personal attack, then somebody needs to blow the whistle and put the kettle on pretty quickly before things start to unravel. So I thought that framework, you know, I could almost imagine a continuum from this sort of cozy culture where no one's really uh, talking at all or offering any conflict or debate. There's like an echo chamber on on what the senior leader thinks. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we've got this incredible these personal attacks, there's conflict, and it's all about the personalities and the people rather than the job. And then somewhere in the middle, there's this sweet spot where it's about a shared focus, a task focus. It's not, uh, you know, emotional. It's very rational about, you know, how can we all work together to get the very best out of this team environment? So I thought it'd be really interesting, you know, insight to think about with us working remotely. I don't know what your experiences have been. Maybe you've seen, uh, you know, more conflict as people are getting frustrated working in isolation. Maybe communication hasn't been as effective or maybe, you know, your frustration is dissipated by a a quick lap around the the kitchen or a flashing your V's below the uh, laptop camera can see you on the Zoom calls. But maybe you're, you know, dealing with tension and, and conflict in a different way. So I'd love you to drop me a note on LinkedIn Uh, or to hello at sportingedge.com and let me know how you're dealing with uh, conflict in the workplace at the moment. Are you seeing less because you're all working remotely or are you seeing more actually and and it's showing itself with people having shorter fuses because of the financial pressure or the, you know, the uncertainty in the market. It's probably a good time just to give you a quick reminder about our members club and I'm really genuinely excited about this. I am not you know, a salesperson by any stretch, but I really think you're going to love this if you just take the time to to come over and look what we've created. We've always had an amazing library of video insights. And for every one of the experts like Sue that you're hearing today, we've chopped the interview up into 10 or 15 different insights of around two minutes so that you can search by those tags in the library. But we've never had such a flexible solution for you as an individual to access it. So when you become a member, you'll have the confidence that you've got back up from these inspirational Olympians talking about confidence and resilience and, uh, you know, all of those key things. We've got world class coaches talking about how to you know, develop your talent and how to get that growth mindset. We've got business strategists talking about you know, how to create a sustainable strategy or how to be, you know, build an ethical culture or an agile culture. And we've got futurists talking about technology and the future of the workplace. So they're going to be your guides on your personal and professional journey through the uncertainty of the months ahead. So I'm really excited to give you the chance to join our high performance network. During times of uncertainty and pressure, your mindset will be the key to your success. 
Sporting Edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success. This is your chance to get powerful weekly micro-lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport. You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums and events. Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. So I really hope you're looking forward to joining us on the Sporting Edge Members Club. Head over to sportingedge.com forward slash members to register for a special discounted rate, which is available in that first month. And you can watch all of Sue Campbell's interview there. And uh, I'm sure she'll turn out to be one of your best mentors ever. So we're starting to understand how Sue has developed a career as a real change agent. She's inspirational, she's warm, she's supportive, but she's also not afraid to challenge. She's not a diamond tip drill though, that's the key. Surely I was thinking she must have experienced some resistance to her change initiatives through her career. So I wanted to understand how that resistance and that, um, you know, those rebuttals that she would have had when she tried to encourage people through these change initiatives at the various leadership roles that she's had, how that affected her resolve and her mindset. You know, like any other person in any other role in life, there are days when you wonder, can I do this? Am I good enough to do this? Is this decision I'm about to take, which might have an effect on a lot of people's lives, how do I know this is right? Sleepless nights, you know, waking in the middle of the night going, oh my God, getting up and having that cup of tea and pacing around. Uh, I've had lots of them. And, and I, I think it's that compassion for the people you're working with that makes you good at what you do, but it's also that compassion and concern that troubles you deeply when you're having to make decisions. So, yeah, I mean, I probably the worst time for me, if I wanted to pick one out, was when I was first made chief um, chair of UK Sport. And the board at UK Sport was made up of... Uh, some very strong uh, people who weren't entirely happy with what I was trying to do, which was to create change. Now, one of the things I've been all my life is an agent of change. And the one thing you know is change threatens people. And the moment you want to change something, then people see you as a problem. <laughs> but if you really believe that change is important, then you have to drive through that. So there are times when I've felt absolutely hated by people, um, despised by people. Uh, and I don't like those feelings. I don't, I don't want to be in that place. But the mission has been more important than those kind of emotions. So I, I think what drives me through those moments is this commitment to the mission. And, and the mission is, is too important to let go because I feel uncomfortable. I guess that's true of athletes too. You know, you drive on regardless, really. So we can hear that tension between being liked as a person uh, by her colleagues and being respected as a leader for doing the right thing for the organisation. And Sue believes so passionately and so strongly in those overarching goals and targets for the organisation that she's able to use that to overcome any personal discomfort or sensitivities that she's got to get the job done. 
I learned so much from the morning that I spent with Sue and I'd love to share her whole interview with you, but you can access that as a member. So that's another great reason for you to join us. Before we sign off, I just wanted to share this insight from Sue speaking about the role of optimism, because I really think it's so relevant to our resilience and mental health at the moment. I've often said that hope is your greatest, (laughs) your greatest asset. You have to believe and not just look like you believe. You have to believe tomorrow can be a better day. And therefore, creating in an athlete's mind, tomorrow can be a better day, or there is a way back from this, is really, really critical. And, and I think that certainly for many of our young people who, who may be in situations in schools and other places where their aspirations are quite low, often it's because they can't see anything better lying in front of them. And if an athlete experiences a, a setback and thinks, well, that's it, you know, an injury, you know, you always look at Jess, don't you, just before Beijing getting injured, that is really tough to deal with. You spent four years of your life getting ready for that moment. It's now not going to happen. How do you cope with that? How do you deal with that? How do you come back from that? Um, but our great athletes do. Now, we might not be able to empathise exactly with Jessica Ennis when she fractured her ankle and was out of the Beijing Olympics, but we've all experienced our own painful setbacks. Maybe your restaurant or your gym has been smashed by the restrictions, or maybe you've lost your own job. Well, our response is a choice, no matter how hard it seems, and we have to believe, like Sue says, that tomorrow can be better. And that example that she gave of Jessica Ennis came true, where actually she became one of the world's biggest stars in 2012 in front of her home crowd. She broke world records and became an absolute icon for British sport. And I'm sure despite that setback in Beijing, she wouldn't swap it for the benefits and the lifestyle change and the you know, success that she was able to deliver in London 2012. So let's keep believing that we can make tomorrow better than yesterday for ourselves, our families and our colleagues at work. I hope you've enjoyed this mastermind session with Baroness Sue Campbell. I love her authenticity, her straight talking and that ability to be compassionate and ruthless in tandem. I just wish she was running the response to COVID in the UK. It would be a completely different issue. So thanks again for listening. As you close, do come over to sportingedge.com forward slash membership and have a look. If you like these podcasts and the audio clips, you're going to love having access to the video library. I wish you a very happy dog walk, a long distance bike ride or a coffee and a chocolate cake, whichever you choose. Have a great day and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.